This is episode 20 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 20 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Thank you very much for joining me today. Today I have on the show Sean Rea. Sean is a real estate investor in the Niagara Falls region of Ontario. He is an investor of cash flow. He's been very aggressive in the last 16 months. He's bought a couple of smoking hot deals that he's going to tell us about that each are cash flowing more than $1,400 a month. So this is a guy that's been extremely aggressive and active. He's going to talk to us a lot about mindset and what it takes to get started, even if you're starting from scratch. Sean came from humble beginnings and he's he's found no excuses. He's, he's used his mindset and his hustle to, to get where he is today. And it's a pretty impressive story, and he's a really uplifting guy to talk to. He's got a great personality, and and he's honestly just a really, really positive guy, which I think is so critical in success in business today. A positive mindset can't be overstated in terms of its value, and I thought I think a lot of people don't quite realize just how important it is going to be to their success. So I'm really looking forward to you seeing this episode and listening to this episode, depending on where you're uh, absorbing this content. Really quick, if you could please take a moment to rate and review this podcast, it's going to help more people to find it. Please also share it with a friend, share it with somebody who you think could benefit from it. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, if you wouldn't mind leaving me a comment, give me a thumbs up and uh, I really, really appreciate it. It's going to help this grow, help me do more of this and obviously build a bigger community around this podcast. For those of you who are real estate investors and you're in the Golden Horseshoe of Ontario and you'd be willing to come on out, I encourage you to please hit me up on either Instagram or Facebook at the Andrew Hines. The Andrew Hines is my handle. And ask me to join the private group so that you can attend our event. It's a no charge event for real estate investors. We hold it at a local restaurant in Burlington, which is just outside of Hamilton. And it's all about uplifting other investors. It's all about people getting together, sharing ideas and networking the way we're supposed to when we want to grow. And uh, I started this with Travis Roy on, and we're both just eager to uh, to help each other and help others. And, and of course, grow ourselves and learn from you because there's so many of you out there who have done things that we haven't tried. And uh, we'd love to network and learn more from you. So without further ado, here is episode 20. And I know you're going to love it. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have Sean Rea on the podcast today. Sean, how you doing? Excellent. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Really appreciate you taking uh, the time and uh, having me on your channel and your podcast. Yeah, well, I appreciate you coming on. I've seen your name a million times just floating around on social media. I know you know a lot of the same guys I know, and I never had a chance to meet you, and I'm just meeting you for the first time right now. And that's the way I like to keep it. I want this to be fresh and, and totally organic as far as our conversation and where it goes. Uh, so here's what I know. I know you're investing in some duplexes and triplexes in the Niagara region, region Sean, but yes. I don't know anything about your story. So if you could just you know, enlighten us as to uh, what you're up to, uh, how you got started and, and what specific investments you're in. Okay. Sounds good. I'll try not to go into too much detail because it's, it's a super long story, but um, essentially... I started investing six years ago. Um, now, there's a huge gap between when I had actual um, growth that you could you know, see and just kind of, I just owned a rental property and I didn't really go far from there. So about six years ago, um, 
I had built a new build out in Stony Creek, uh, Winona area, kind of, you know, where, where uh, Grimsby is. I used Lasani, um, the, you know, the, the builders. Okay. Built, built a townhome there. And um, that was going to be our, like, family's first home that we were, that was the first house we ever bought. So, you know, we were all excited about that and um, moved into it, owned it for about a year. My wife went on mat leave. We had our first daughter and I was working in Mississauga. Um, I'm originally from Hamilton. So I was driving back and forth from Hamilton to Mississauga. Then I was going from Winona slash Stony Creek to Mississauga. And um, the bills were just unbelievable. I couldn't, I, it was the first time I ever owned a home, right? So I, I, I didn't, I didn't uh, take into consideration all these extra bills. You know, my wife going on mat leave, less income coming in, the cost of a child. And I, I was like, this doesn't make sense. Like I'm working 40 hours a week, maybe 50 hours a week, maybe even sometimes more. And I'm living paycheck to paycheck. Something's not right here. So uh, something clicked and I, I started reading about real estate investing. That's kind of what pushed me to get into it. Um, so after reading, reading some books, watching some, some stuff on online about it, I, uh, I decided to sell our new build and we bought a duplex and we house hacked it. Um, we lived there for four years. The plan initially was to buy two houses and kind of like move into one, keep one as a rental. And then I didn't really see anything past that. That was the, that was kind of like the end goal, <laughs> which is kind of crazy. Um, to think, you know, now where, where the new goals are. Um, so fast forward four years later, I worked three jobs, uh, because I wasn't able, I still wasn't able to save money. And we can talk about that, I guess, a little bit more in detail after about how I was able to go from just one to, you know, my current portfolio, but, um, essentially, yeah, four years of doing nothing. And then within a year, I just kind of, I just started buying and I, and I, I use different strategies that I've learned about to be able to grow that portfolio, um, pretty quickly. Okay. So was there anyone in your family that had been doing real estate investing or was this, this was new for you? Uh, absolutely new. So I grew up a uh, single, single family home, which is my mom. Um, she, she struggled to make ends meet. She was, um, you know, she tried her best. She, she, she did own her house. She, she paid off the mortgage and everything, but we, we really only had my mom working as a child. And like, I remember going to food banks and stuff like that with her, um, as a kid, you know, so like we didn't have money at all. So it was, it was definitely a struggle. And I think that's kind of where my perseverance comes from is because I've seen like, I've seen like the bad, you know, and how bad it can get with a family. And now that I have my own family, I want to make sure that I can provide the best that I can for them. It's a pretty solid motivator, huh? I could definitely relate. Yeah, absolutely. I remember when I was a kid, yeah, like my parents, like, you know, kind of nattering, I'm not going to say fighting, but at the dinner table saying, oh, like we, you know, we can't afford this. And I, I remember as a kid, like kind of internalizing some of that stress. And I remember just being so adamant. I'm like, no, I'm doing things differently. And uh, that's been for me, similar to you, a big driver into why I got into real estate to just yes. things differently. So you got in six years ago with your first new build, right? Yes. Okay. So you're actually relatively, it's not that long, really. I mean, I guess that is, is a little while ago for your first home, but as when did you start considering yourself a real estate investor? How long ago was that? Uh, within the last two years. So in two years. And then what have you done in that time? Um, so I went from house hacking that property in Welland to purchasing a triplex in the Niagara region, um, ended up renting out both the units in the original duplex and then house hacked the triplex. Um, so 
I have two other units in the triplex. And then from there, I kind of leveraged those two properties in the last year and, uh, and built my portfolio. And I bought, uh, I bought 10 units, um, in, in that time in, in about 16 months. Um, so that's where I've seen the substantial growth in 16 months, really. So in 16 months, you bought 10 more units on top of what you already had. Yes. So how many units are are you at now? 13 right now. 13, man, congrats. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Quick, quick progress. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's insane when you, when you can really, um, understand, you know, how to leverage your properties and your assets yeah. and use the bank's money to, to purchase more real estate. And as long as you're buying good cash flowing properties, yeah. um, that's where, that's where it makes it easier to, to do this. Okay. So Sean, for our, we've got listeners all across really the continent and I actually, occasionally I look on and we'll see, I see somebody from Portugal listening to, uh, <laughs> what are some, some general lessons that you've learned in the kind of the structuring, like what makes it work? What has allowed you to grow your portfolio and refinance the way you have? What's the secret? Um, okay. So number one, you need to educate yourself. You need to educate yourself on the, the strategies and you need to find exactly what you're going to invest in because there's so many books, there's so much information, there's so many people out there that have different strategies and different ways that they're investing in real estate. So you really need to figure out how you want to invest, right? And then once you find that way, the way that you want to invest, team up with people that are already doing it, mm-hmm. right? So find, find a mentor, find a coach. If, if you have the money, pay for a coach. If you don't have the money, then find somebody who's willing to mentor you for free. You know, like there, there's a lot of people that are willing to do that to, to give free information out. I, I do it all the time. You know, I would love to mentor somebody for free um, so that they don't have to go through all the same struggles and take six years to get where I got when realistically you could probably do it in a year or two. And I always tell people, don't reinvent the wheel. Don't, mm-hmm. don't try to come up with this really intricate solution to a problem when there's a million other people that have already banged their head against the wall and learned it all. So learn it from a mentor. Exactly. I've, been, I've been fortunate enough to have my mother-in-law. She's been a great mentor to me, a future mother-in-law. Um, and then I've had a friend of mine that I actually graduated with, didn't know him when I went to school with him, but I met him two years after at, at a alumni event. And this guy just crushes everything. And he was doing student rentals, you know, he's got to be worth 15 million at this point. Um, so having people like that, keep them close, always yes. keep them close, try and find a way to give back to them, try and find a way to help them with their problems too. So, so that it's a give and take. And I've always practiced that model. Like don't just take exactly. as, you know, somebody learning, give back to go learn something that, that your mentor needs and, and exactly. share that information with them. And that's always worked for me. It's allowed me to grow hugely. Sean, I'm curious about your mentors. You don't have to give the names, but could you describe the relationships and how that's helped you? Oh, absolutely. Like I, I think I, I, I know I wouldn't be where I am now without, uh, without the team, without the people that I know. Right. Um, they say your network is your net worth. And you know, the people, the people that I know are usually further ahead than I am. Right. They have more properties than I do. Um, I'm learning from mistakes that they've made. I ask them about mistakes that they've made and, um, you know, I, I ask for their opinions and, and uh, I think we were talking about this uh, earlier. Like you have to be a sponge. You have to absorb the information that people are giving you and you have to be open to listening, right? Mm-hmm. People that, people that are successful are going to, they're going to absorb information and constantly be learning. They're not gonna, they're not gonna be super opinionated and, and say, no, you know, this way is the right way and there's no other way to do it because that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's not a good mindset to have. So, um, 
you know, definitely, definitely the people around you, the team that you have. Um, and that could be, that could be everybody. It's, it could be your lawyer, could be your accountants, your mortgage yeah. brokers, real estate agents. Did you pay a coach? I have not paid any coaches. Um, not that I won't in the future. I know, you know, at some point, if I feel that I'm stagnating, I'm not, I'm not growing, then at that, at that point, I think I, I would definitely do that. Yeah, I would consider it too. I, I've looked at it, but I feel like I have, I have really good coaches around me that are, are not paid mentors, I, I suppose is the better way of, of, of describing that. And what I'm, what I'm looking to do, and I, don't, I know you've probably heard about the meetup that I, I'm hosting monthly, uh, yes. which I'd love you to come to, by the way, is, you know, bring people like, like yourself uh, out there. And then we learn from each other, right? We can all hold each other accountable. And I think that's another great way. But I've heard, I know some people who have specifically paid very expensive coaches and, and my God, their results are incredible. So yeah. it's definitely something it's, just, yes. there's going to be a time for that. There's going to be, yes. you know, Hey, I've, I've had a deal. It paid off the right amount. Okay. I'm going to set this side of this amount aside for coaching to go to the next level. Yes. Yes, exactly. So that's, you know, and I, and I'm a, I'm, I'm a big, uh, a big, big advocate on networking for sure. So, you know, you have to get out to those meetup groups. You have to network with other people. You know, the people that go to those events are all like-minded. They're, they're all on the same path. They're, they're trying to grow themselves and, you know, you just help each other. Right. So Sean, what was your background? Like what, what was your job? I know you're still working a full-time job now. Could you tell me what you started in and what you're doing now? Yeah. So, uh, I've been an IT guy for 13 years. Um, and, uh, it's funny because your, your, your goals change really. Um, once you start investing in real estate, and you're successful at it and you see the potential, right? So initially, uh, 13 years ago, you would, you would have asked me what, what I see myself doing, uh, down the road before I started investing, before I knew anything about investing. And, um, I wanted to just work my way up the corporate ladder, right? I wanted to, to work the nine to five and, um, you know, eventually be a director vice president, president, CEO of, of any company. And, um, now, now that's, that's completely changed. I still work my nine to five. I love my job. Um, it's, it's a great job. It, it pays decent and, uh, I find it satisfying. It's stress-free, but I've seen the potential with real estate and how that can really, um, create wealth and not just like wealth where you have money up front. It is a generational wealth that my family and my kids will be able to, mm-hmm. to actually appreciate and, and use. So, um, yeah, uh, being an IT guy is is great, but there's definitely more potential in in investing in, in real estate. And I, I would say that my nine to five job is more more used as a vehicle now to continue investing and growing. Well, it's key. And for those people who are like, yeah, I just want to do real estate full time, you kind of do need to have an income at at least when you're getting started from a job to get your mortgages right, or you need to find a partner that has that. Yes. Yes. So- you do, you do. Uh, there's two, there's two ways though. Right. So if, cause I, I see this all the time where, where you have people like young guys that, uh, that they don't have the income or they don't have that, that great job that is going to allow for them to get mortgages. There's still ways to get cash, no, no money down deals. Right. So, you know, but it's about educating yourself. It's, it's lining yourself up with the right people who've already done that or can help you do that. Right. So there's vendor take backs that you can do. Um, I've seen, I've seen some young guys doing that with no money down on those deals. And uh, there's joint venture partnerships where maybe you're not bringing up, bringing in enough income um, with your nine to five job, but maybe you've wholesaled a couple of deals and you've built up some capital 
So you can go and join venture with somebody who has the, the credit to get that mortgage and you put the money in, don't take the credit, uh, like don't get the mortgage, right? And put the money down and join venture with somebody. So that there's always ways around it. Right. So all you have to do is solve somebody's problem, right? Yep. Yep. So here's one thing I like to dig into because I, I don't think a lot of people can wrap their head around, well, who would want to give me money? I get this question sometimes uh, when I post those little stickers on Instagram. I'm like, ask me a question. And people ask, well, how can I get a joint venture partner? Or say I find a triplex, how am I going to be able to buy it with no money down? Right. And like you said, there's a lot of strategies that work. And it's all about who you're going to approach. So when it, like I started with friends and family. I don't know if you did. I mean, for me, I relied and still do to this day, rely on other people's money. So mm -hmm. I would come to somebody and I would actually, I would think about it in terms of them. Like, what is it that you're trying to do? So one of my investors, I, I gave him a call and I had already worked at the numbers. I knew he had a line of credit. And I'm like, well, if you give me, um, I think it was 80,000 or a hundred thousand, something like that. Um, here's what I can pay you. And I gave him an exact dollar amount. And I said, this is the net profit you're going to make on that monthly. So every month, this is going to give you an extra $450 cash in your pocket. And you're just going to borrow the bank's money. It's, it doesn't affect you at all. How'd you like to make some free money? Mm -hmm. and you, it's pretty hard to find people that don't like that concept. Yeah. Now, granted, there are gonna, they're going to need to believe in you. They're going to need to know that you know what you're doing. And, and if you don't, then just like you said, Sean, you got to get out there to events. You got to learn what you don't know. Because when you come into that meeting to pitch them, they're like, well, what if this happens to your property? And you need to have a response. And the yes. only way you're going to have a response is if you did the research. So, I mean, when I was, say, like 24 years old, like just wanting to get started, hadn't even bought my first property, I went on a mission and went to City Hall in London, Ontario for like two straight weeks looking up properties and owners on the tax lookup. Like I was like sitting there on the, on the city <laughs> like learning everything I could about these different owners of different condos, like trying to, trying to find deals. Um, I was one of those people that would just grind it out whatever I needed to know to, to be able to do it. I'd go visit city hall. I'd talk to other people. You, you gotta be that guy, right? Yes, you do. And I don't know if you've, you've had like sort of a similar experience. Maybe you didn't need to, cause you had the job. You'd be more like the guy that would give the money. Maybe if, uh, if somebody had approached you with a, a good joint venture. So I, I actually, I did experience that. And uh, this is going back to, okay. So when, when I owned my, when I was house hacking the first duplex that I had, I had planned. So, so I do a vision, a vision board. Right. And it's like, okay, I have my, a one year, a three year, five year, 10 year goals. Right. And my three-year goal when I purchased that was to buy another rental or to buy another house just in general. Okay. So I thought it was, I thought it was achievable. I was working as an IT guy, nine to five in Mississauga and, um, three years flew by and I realized, well, I didn't really know what I was doing because I bought a duplex, but I didn't have enough knowledge or education or anybody teaching on what I should be looking for in the duplex and what the numbers really were. And, Mm -hmm. Right. So what ended up happening was when I bought this duplex, um, the tenants that were downstairs were actually paying, I think they were paying like 1100 plus utilities. Okay. Okay. And, um, I ended up because I'd never been a landlord before I ended up saying to them, Oh, uh, you can just pay like nine fifty all inclusive, no problem. And I, I, I lowered the rent and I, and I decided to pay their bills because I was nervous about being a landlord and I didn't know, I didn't want them to leave, right? Because I was, I was taking a risk going into this, not really knowing what I was doing. So that, that limited me on obviously the cash flow on that property. Fast forward three years, I was paying all the bills and everything. And with my nine to five job, I wasn't able to save enough money 
to buy that second one. Three years have went by. I didn't have enough money. So I, I, I did what I had to do, which was I, I got two additional jobs. So I did three jobs and, uh, I did my nine to five. I'd get home. My, uh, I'd see, see my daughter for about an hour, have dinner. And then I go work at a sushi restaurant, making sushi from uh, six until 11 at night. And then I drove a cab from midnight until four in the morning and I'd sleep like three or four hours and then go back to work. I did that for about a year and, uh, sa- saved all the money that I needed and, and bought that second house. So I, I really grinded it out. Wow. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard a story like that. I I've done some stuff, but that, that trumps what I've done. That's uh, that's incredible. What was it? What was it specifically? If you look back to that moment, what was driving you to do that? I, I was realizing that I had a goal and I wasn't going to meet it on time. Mm-hmm. So I, I had a deadline that I set for myself on that vision board. And when I realized that I'm nowhere near it, mm-hmm. I, I did what I had to do. That's awesome, man. I, uh, I got a lot of respect for that. I actually had, so I didn't do, do that that intense, but when I say right around 2015, 2014, I'd kind of been struggling a little bit. Like I had done some real estate investing starting back in 2011. I had a few successes, but I'd never got into renovating and, and the Burr strategy where you buy, renovate and, and you know do the next one. So I didn't really know what to do. Didn't know how to buy any more properties. And I had a couple of things I got burned on. I had invested in Ohio. I had lost a bunch of money. I had invested in a a house I was trying to develop into a duplex and, uh, the city passed like bylaws. The, the, the the neighbors like ganged up on my yard. I made the front page of the newspaper and I was almost, I was almost knocked out of the game. I had all this stuff happen and it felt like I was just, you know, a shit storm, pardon the expression happened to me all at once. And it almost knocked me out of the game for about two years, I did nothing. And so when you said, yeah, I had a little bit of a pause before I got going, same thing happened to me, except it happened because I got burned real bad. Yeah. So I'd kind of been struggling. I'm like, why did I ever stop like trying to buy real estate? Well, think good things were happening when I was buying real estate. So then I just, I, I went all in with it. I leveraged up my other properties as like as much as I could. And I bought this house to turn into a student rental. And mm-hmm. I didn't have any extra cash sitting aside for hotels or anything like that. I, I literally pulled out an air mattress and slept in a house that was, you know, there was cold air blowing in through the uh, rafters because, it was <laughs> uh, you know, it was a situation where I can't believe I did that. I, I had a night that I, I painted the whole house overnight so that the cabinet guys could start the next day myself. So I'm in there spray, like with the sprayer painting the whole house. And, uh, I, I get to, I get to sleep in my car by about 5:30 AM. My workers are showing up at 7 AM. So <laughs> I literally, the guy walks up next to my car. I just get out the door. I'm like, Oh, Hey Bill, how's it going? <laughs> so That's what it takes though. That's what it takes. Sometimes know? like when, when you know what you're doing is going to work, all you have to do is just do it. Yep. You'll do crazy things. Oh yeah. That's where the education comes in. Cause if you, if you don't feel like you can direct your energy in that way, then it probably just means you don't know enough yet. Mm-hmm. You haven't met the right people. You haven't asked the right questions. Uh, yep. Once you get past that point, all of a sudden it just becomes clear. Okay, now it's time to work hard. Mm-hmm. And, and as far as creativity goes and reinventing the wheel, don't do that to start. But once you get something going, then you can start being creative. Once it's already uh, I working, agree. then yep. start being creative. But when you start, for at least for me, my two senses, copy what's working in your area. Find what's yes. working, just copy it. Yep. Just replicate, replicate it. And you'll, you know, just do it in, in your area, you know, replicate what somebody else is doing in their area, do it in yours. Yeah. And, uh, and that's it. And then, like you said, yeah, you can, you can get creative once you, um, once you can take on that risk, 
you know, once you're comfortable to take on that risk and you've built a, a portfolio that's cash flowing already, then yeah. absolutely. It's funny. Creativity as a risk. It, it is sort of right. Uh, you start thinking like a developer, um, like I, I do it now. Now I look at stuff in areas where I'm like, well, if this worked in London and I want to invest in Hamilton and I see, you know, downtown Hamilton's doing this. What if I invest in this area that's not downtown? You know, it's not quite there yet, but what if I could transition the whole area? What if I could make the building better and then, you know, bring in some commercial tenants on the lower floor and in transition an area? And that, this is the thought process. Like I start just, I started just thinking about like, how can I buy this property and hopefully renovate it and keep it? And mm-hmm. it was just like a house or, or maybe sell it if it, if it doesn't work. And then the mindset, you know, it grows and changes. And I think as you, as you evolve as a real estate investor, you're going to want to do bigger things, or at least that's my tendency. I don't know if everyone's like me, but I don't know if you can relate to that too, but you tackle the one challenge and then you're like, okay, this works. It's making me money. And now I want to go to the next level. Yep. Uh, Key thing I would warn against would be don't stop doing what's working while you're exactly what's the next thing. Don't go quit your job just to try and do this because you'll put this pressure on yourself that you need. Yep. Exactly. I agree a hundred percent with that. Yeah. Um, do you think you could give me, uh, give me a couple examples of, of stuff you've done lately? Like what are some recent deals for you? I know you've been investing in Welland, which for those listening, uh, a couple of clarifications, Welland is like the Niagara Falls region. Uh, I'm sure that'll sound familiar. And, uh, it's probably about an hour and a half from Toronto, I would say maybe an hour. Yeah. And 15. Yep, exactly. And, uh, okay. So you've been investing in some tri- triplexes, duplexes. Tell us about the last deal and how the numbers looked on it. Or uh, okay. So. Yeah. So the last deal was, it wasn't Welland. Um, I closed on that the first of last month. Okay. Um, and, uh, that was actually a private deal. Um, which is my first private deal. I have never bought anything privately, uh, directly from the seller. I've only purchased off of MLS. Um, so that was, ex- that was exciting. Yeah. So he was, um, the con the contractor that owned this house was actually doing work on another duplex of mine. And, um, I, I, I just recently met him. He was doing some plumbing at uh, one of my properties and we started talking and he just, he just briefly mentioned that he's a landlord, asked him how many properties he has. And he says uh, that he has one rental property. His son's living in it, um, on, uh, on one side and other sides rented out by a tenant. And, uh, basically I just asked him if he's going to sell it. Like, are you, you know, do you want to sell it? Are you interested in selling it? What do you want for it? And uh, he said, yeah, you know, I might sell it. If you want, come take a look at the house and, uh, and I'll let you know, um, what, you know, what kind of number I'd be looking at. So I went and looked at it, uh, about two or three weeks later. And, um, I think the number he gave me was 275. That's, that's what he wanted for the duplex. It's a side by side, separately metered. That sounds um, really cheap. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it for sure. It was, and this was just, uh, you know, like two, three months ago. Right. So it's not check. He didn't check with his realtor. Sorry to cut you off. I mean, I just, um, I would say at two seventy five, you know, it was probably like a real estate agent probably would have listed at like 300, maybe three ten, Right. So he's taking the real estate agent fees out and then not having to deal with anybody and just selling it to me. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I said, I wasn't interested at two seventy five. So I did my numbers and uh, I came back at two forty. Um, I told him on the spot, right? Just within a couple of minutes, I said, "Okay, I'll, I'll give you two forty. I was looking for a thousand dollars cash flow, so that that that's pretty much what I was looking for. I knew that each unit or one unit was rented for nine hundred and fifty dollars, and I knew the other unit I'd be able to rent for thirteen hundred. 
So when I did the calculation, it was around $950 in cash flow. Um, he said, he said no at, at the moment, but uh, he's like, let me think about it. And, uh, I think they called me back or text me like two weeks later. And they said, well, we talked to our accountant, um, because our son's living there and he's on title. Uh, we won't get hit with cap gains. So, uh, we'd sell it to you at 240. So, so I got it. I got at the price that I asked for. And, um, drew up my own contract. Uh, I didn't use the OREA. I, I pretty much did, but I took out everything that was related to OREA, including like brokerage and stuff like that. And just drew yeah. up my own, my own contract, um, gave it to them. They signed it, gave it to my broker, broker gave it to Scotiabank. Uh, Scotiabank had no issues with it. And it was probably like the easiest closing that we've had. Um, I gave them a $500 deposit and, uh, closed three weeks later. Wow. Yeah, it was nice and simple. And so the icing on the cake was that the tenant who was living there paying nine fifty, um, in the three weeks prior to the closing, she actually she, had, she sent me a text message. She says, uh, "Sean, I'm uh, I'm actually going to be moving out at the end of the month." So um, I guess she found she found a place that was uh, geared to income, and uh, she found found a place that uh, was going to be cheaper than the nine fifty she was paying. So I I said, "Sure, I'll come over later today." I got her to sign an N eleven form. Just verify uh, what that means. So the N eleven form just stipulates that she is indeed, um, you know, agreeing to leave on this date, and uh, the the tenant the tenant board uses that form. Um, yeah. If there was an issue, if she didn't leave, she actually did leave, and I ended up renting it out for thirteen hundred. So I got an additional three hundred and fifty dollars a month cash flow. Yeah. Um, the other the other place rented out for thirteen hundred. Um, I didn't do any renovations to this one, so it wasn't a burr. Um, but it is cash flowing $1,400. That's incredible. That's like found money. I, so I love that. So you stick, to your principles. you stick to your principles at, you know, you knew your number, but then you got blessed with a little surprise money, which is not a bad thing. Uh, icing on the cake. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I actually had something similar like that happen. I was just, I was just actually on my bachelor party in Las Vegas and uh, I got a, a call from some guy. He's like, I need to ask you about one of your properties. I'm like, what is this? Turns out it was another landlord that got, was using, I was getting a reference call from my existing tenants who have been in my property for like seven years. Okay. Way under market. And it was like this wonderful news that my tenants are planning to leave <laughs> and then I can yeah. leave the property. Oh uh, yeah. So, you know, if, 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 if the numbers work, on, you know, day one, then good things, I, I say this, good things tend to happen when you own real estate. Like you just, all of a sudden oh, yeah. changes, rents go up, at least around here. I'm sure there are, are markets where that's not true, but, um, so that's great. You're, you're, uh, let, I wanted to ask you about a couple of things, uh, in terms of tenants leaving and, uh, motivation, uh, for private deals, but let's just dig into the numbers. Sure. So you're buying for, 240, which how much did you have to put down? Uh, with lawyer fees, 52,000. So 52,000. And what is your monthly cash flow on that? Uh, 1,400. 14. So monthly cash flow is 1,400. Your total mortgage amount would have, it would be 80%. I got 80%. 80, of, yep. 80% yeah. loan to value. Yep. So let's, uh, what did that work out to be if you, if you know your numbers offhand? 192. 192. Yeah. So 192, let's just do our quick, our quick number. Um, so I like to say good ballpark is 3% of your mortgage gets paid down every year. So that's 5760 a year is being paid down on your mortgage. Mm -hmm. It's approximate, but it, it's a decent 
indicator. So 5760. Your 1400 a month is equal to 68. Yeah. Okay. And then the one other thing is appreciation, which is a tricky thing. And I'm going to make a note. Here. Yeah. You're using 3% as your yeah. assumption. Okay. Yeah. Conser- I, conservative. Yes. That's, that's a pretty conservative. Your numbers should work based on that. So 3% of 240, 3% pay downs on your mortgage amount, the, the appreciations on your actual house value, right? So the house value is 240,000. Um, 3% on that is uh, 7,200. So yeah, ballpark. Yeah. So your total return on this place, let's just add it all up. 72 plus 5760 plus 16.8. Your biggest contributor is the cash flow. Yes. Which I love that. That's amazing. So your total return is 29,760. Sounds right. And let's just compare that to your investment. So this is just a deal that you didn't even have to burr, but granted you're in for 52,000, but you've invested the 52,000 and you're getting 2970. So we do a quick number there. 29,760 over 52,000. So that's just an on market, well, not an on market, but just a straight up buy for 57.3%. That's wild, man. That's not bad. That's not bad. (laughs) Usually you got a burr to get get that. And and for those who aren't familiar with burr, that just means when you buy something, you renovate it, uh, and then you refinance it with the bank, rent it out with a tenant, and, and then take that money back out. So if you do that, you have to put in the sweat equity. You got to do the work and then you can pull money out. And sometimes you can even get an infinite return because you pull all your money out. But in yes. this case, I mean, you're paying back the money you got in, in two years. That that yeah. Money- less, less than two years. Yeah. We're actually, um, we're actually planning on refinancing this property in the next like 30 to 60 days. Um, because I bought it, I bought it under market. Right. Yeah. So, um, we think it's worth about 290. That's what we're going to try and get the appraisal for. So I figure I'll probably be able to refi 40,000 out of it uh, within the next 60 days. And if you refi 40,000 out of it, let's just show how that number adjusts because I've never done this. So you take the 52,000 you did have invested and you subtract off uh, 40,000 that you're pulling out. So now you're in for 12,000. And obviously your cash flow number would change a bit because the mortgage would change, but change by a couple hundred, yeah, a couple hundred bucks it'd be different. But let's just say it's approximately the same. Maybe it's twenty eight thousand instead. So we'll just say twenty eight thousand yeah. is your overall return instead of twenty nine seven sixty. So twenty eight thousand over your twelve thousand invested. Now all of a sudden your return on investment is two hundred and thirty three percent. So you're paying back multiple times every year. So you're, you're recouping your investment. So the contrast yes. here, and here's why we all invest in real estate. Hopefully everybody listening to this podcast is on, on board with that, uh, is th- this is, this is a compared to what our, you know, in Canada, we can get like what 1.75% on your savings account is like considered exceptional. Like you're doing really, <laughs> if you're yeah. investing in a mutual fund and you're paying the management fees on that mutual fund, you're probably averaging somewhere around 4%. If you're in an index fund, you're getting 11. If you're invested in this, you're getting 233 if you do the little work. Or for you, if, if you just took the deal that you bought, you were still getting 57. I mean, yeah. that's where I don't understand, Sean, why more people don't invest in real estate. I mean, I know it's becoming a thing. It's, it's becoming a lot more common, but mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty surprising. I think it's just um, the fear of the unknown, right? So I, I, I talked to... I talk to people that are pretty close to me that 
know what I'm doing, but they don't understand it. Mm -hmm. And, um, anytime that they hear investing and real estate, they, they automatically think, uh, it's like fear and risk, Mm -hmm. right? It's just doesn't, doesn't go together. And, and, uh, I say, I, I, I say this over and over to people who, who, have no interest in investing and just want to like save their money in, um, RSPs or savings, which, which there's nothing wrong with that either, because I, I know how you have, uh, your, I think it's your, your mother-in-law is, uh, with pro funds, right? Pro funds mortgages. Yeah. So they do, they do private mortgage investments. Yeah. So amazing for RSP investors, somebody who has RSPs who doesn't want to, you know, do the creativity of real estate investing, they can just go and invest yeah. their money with pro funds. Right. So that's right. Well, that's, just to, just to clarify. So RRSPs for those who aren't from Canada, those are registered funds. So in the States you have a 401k and yeah. I think there's a couple other things they have. Basically it's just tax sheltered. So tax sheltered money. Yeah. Tax sheltered money. So yeah, there are, that's interesting because private mortgages, I came from business school and they were legitimately telling us like in, in class, like I had my classmates talking like, Oh yeah, you should be investing. Like you should, you know, buy into stocks. I'm like, well, what are you getting on average? And people give me all these different answers and somebody say, Oh yeah, if you're doing really well, maybe you get 3%. I'm like, so I'm paying almost 4% of my <laughs> loan. You want me to borrow money and make negative return. Hmm. And I just wrote it off. So then when I sit down with Carmen, I started dating her daughter and, um, it, it was like the stars aligned, obviously, like how the heck I was interested in real estate. And I was like literally sitting in limbo. I just finished a teaching contract at Western. I had no job. I was collecting unemployment insurance and I'm like, <laughs> what am I going to do? And all of a sudden I, I ended up, um, you know, starting to date Jordan and I met her mom. So we sit down and she's like, yeah, my investors consistently get 12%. I'm like, excuse me, <laughs> 12%. I would have borrowed every dollar I had off that line of credit and invested it. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. That was an eye opener. And I started to realize there's this, this thought process that is not taught in schools and we could get real philosophical about all this, but these are real world tangible skills. Like we'll spend all this time learning Macbeth and all this stuff in high school when they don't teach financial management or, or personal finance, uh, like just how to manage your own life. Like these yeah. things, are we trying to protect our citizens? I, I, this should be public knowledge. Everybody should, should know about mortgage investing and, and all the benefits that come with real estate investing. For some reason, there's just been this veil that's been over it for whatever reason. But hey, that's an opportunity for all the people who are taking the time and, and rolling up their sleeves and, and listening to podcasts like this and, and people exactly your story, right? Like you said, uh, I, I have, I have uh, money in a high interest savings account with BMO and, uh, and they pay... 2.6, which is actually, it's, actually it's, it's not bad, right? It's two, two point six. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's You're pretty not close. losing money. <laughs> it's pretty close. Yeah. To breaking even with inflation. Um, and you know, I can, I could leave it there or I could, I think I just got an email from, from pro funds, uh, last week or this week about a Niagara Falls development, 16.5% return. Wow. You know, using RSPs. I got that email too. For cash. Right. So what, it's like, it's, it's almost a no brainer. Do you want 2% or do you want 16 and a half percent? You choose. Right. And granted, you got to be smart about where you invest, right? And, and yeah. that's, if you're doing that kind of investing, that's a whole other episode, but you need to know, you need to know who you're, you're getting involved with and, and, and heavily do your due diligence on their, their reputation. Yes. Well, yes, absolutely. Record. That's, that's the biggest thing. Like 
for me, I'm kind of a bit of a control freak. I want to be in control of my stuff. So for me, and I don't really consider myself as much of an investor of money as I am an investor of uh, time. Real estate. I'm an investor of time and effort, right? I'll invest gotcha. time and effort into things. Uh, I, I borrow. I mean, I, I'm everything I do, I'm borrowing investor money. I'm, I'm taking private mortgages. Uh, and for those who don't know what private mortgages are, that just it's just literally a mortgage from, say, John Smith agrees he'll give me a mortgage and put it on title. Uh, just like yeah. the bank, collect payments yeah. like the bank. So yeah, there, it, it, you always have a different strategy. For me, I like control, but other people, Sean, as you pointed out, they just, they don't have the time. They don't want to put in the effort. So do the effort once, learn who you're dealing with, and then of course diversify and invest in multiple deals. And you know, not that I'm giving investment advice because uh, I don't think I can legally do that here, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's that would be my approach. So, yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Okay, so Sean, um, just to kind of change gears a little bit here, uh, obviously your your buy and hold worked out incredibly well. Are you doing uh, deals where you actually have to renovate as well? Yeah. So the deal that I just did before this past one that I, that I closed on, uh, last month was, uh, it was a full burr. I, okay. I, I bought it and it was in major need of update. It was stuck in the 1960s. Um, nothing had been done for, you know, 50 years. Um, and so I, yeah, I bought, I bought an, uh, another duplex. Uh, this one, this one I bought off MLS, uh, what I do sometimes, little golden nugget for everybody, is I go and I look at the oldest listings on the market, and I'll look at the stuff that has lots of days on the market. Because if if it's still signed under contract with an agent, you know, it's uh, it means the sellers if if it's sitting there for ninety days, let's say, and it's still under contract with an agent, those sellers are going to be motivated to sell. They're not they're they're not necessarily stuck not necessarily stuck on their price. They may be, but mm -hmm. you know, I take a chance and, uh, and I'll put offers at you know, the numbers that make, make sense. So a lot of people, um, a lot of people say, Sean, I can't find any good deal. Sean, I can't find, you know, properties that are priced well, um, that makes sense. Well, every property is a deal at the right price. Mm -hmm. So if you can get it to the price that you wanted to and negotiate, then, you got a deal. So this property was listed at 289. Um, long story short, I negotiated a lot and I bought it at 153. Are you kidding me? Um, dead serious. So, so this, this, this goes to show you the property sat on the market for over 90 days. Um, my initial offer, the funny part was my initial offer on this property was 175. Um, when it was only 60 days on the market, they said, no, that's ridiculous. You need to come higher. They didn't even sign back. Mm -hmm. So I waited another 30 days and I sent back the same number and they came back and they said, I think they went down to like two thirty, and I didn't, I didn't sign back. I just said, no, I needed out that number. So I waited another like 15 days and I got a message back from my agent and she's like, Sean, they're willing to negotiate between the price you asked and the price they said. And I said, okay, let's negotiate. So I submitted a new offer for 140,000. I went less than what I had offered initially <laughs> and uh, yeah, I ended up getting out at one, I think it paid 153. It was 153 or 155. Um, I, I did a purchase plus improvements on that one with Scotia. So what that is, is um, you have an appraiser come by and they tell you, you have an appraiser come by, tell you what the value of the property will be um, when you're done all the rentals that you've listed out with your contractor. So I had my contractor go by. They said, okay, it's going to be about $35,000 to renovate. 
Um, Scotiabank then said, okay, we, we're going to give you the mortgage for 153. I put $32,000 down, which is 20% to buy the property. Mm-hmm. Then um, they did purchase plus of 35,000 or it was, it was 32,000 they were going to give me. Mm-hmm. So I was allowed to spend 30, $32,000 out of my pocket up front, do the renovations. They'll come back, send an appraiser through. If everything is, uh, is good with the renovations, they'll then reimburse me the $32,000 and add it on top of the mortgage. Um, right. so, so I, I, I bought the house. Uh, I think this one was September of last year. So 2018, uh, 2018. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, um, I had my contractor in there every day. I was, I was still, I'm working my nine to five. So I was going after my nine to five and I was helping the contractor putting in sweat equity probably until like two, three in the morning, every night for 30 days. Um, and we had, we renovated the whole house in 30 days, two, two bathrooms, two kitchens, uh, three bedrooms downstairs, two bedrooms upstairs. And, um, yeah, just did, got everything done. I got, I got the leases signed. We only spent 25,000 on the reno. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was under budget and, uh, we refinanced the property and I got 60,000 back. So I was in it for nothing. So you're in it for nothing. You pulled all your money out. All my money out. Yeah. Did you get extra in your pocket as well? No, it was about break even. Break even. So you, so now you've got zero into this property, and what's your what's your monthly cash flow on it? Uh, about fourteen, fourteen, fifteen hundred. Wow, you're killing it. That's two properties you've described to me. That, that was a, that was another good one. Yeah. Yeah, and that's two properties in the last three months for you, or no? Sorry, that one. Oh, was eight last months. Year. There's two yeah. properties in the last eight months that have contributed three thousand dollars net cash flow to your personal income, pretty much. Yeah, close. Yeah. Just yeah. a little hair yeah. under, right? Yeah. What are you at as a portfolio right now? Do you figure in net cash flow? Um. Okay, so we we, we got one deal last year. I bought a, a fourplex, mm-hmm. um, and that one doesn't cash flow great, but it has a lot of potential. Okay, so okay. bought bought it with tenants that have been there for fifteen years. Yeah. Like, like two tenants have been there 15 years. One has been there eight or nine years. Another one's been there like five years. It's a three bedroom, a two bedroom, two bedroom, and a two bedroom. They all pay $600. Oh my God. So you're going to turn this into a monster one day. (laughs) One day. (laughs) So that right now that one cash flow is 700. That's a patience play, but man, is that ever going to be good? Yeah. We like, I, I did the numbers and I think, I think I'll probably be able to raise the rent by about 500 for each unit at least. So we'd be looking at 2,500 in cash flow on that one. But like you said, patience game, you just got to wait. And uh, I'm I'm not in a rush, right? I'm I'm doing buy and hold. And uh, that's the other thing about real estate is you have a lot of people that think, okay, this is just uh, get rich quick. Like I'm going to buy real estate and get rich. doesn't work like that. Like you, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be patient. You know, it's uh, yeah. Well, there is, there is a play for get, get rich quick, I guess, but it means that you have to work harder than you've ever worked in your life and and have an unlimited amount of determination. Right. I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with Sean Allen, I had him on the podcast. I'm not saying he did the flipper. Yeah. Yeah. He's, I can only fathom his approximate annual income from what he's doing. Uh, but just insane 30 flips a year, you know, $30,000 a flip. That's, yeah. that's huge, right? But it, yeah, again, it didn't happen overnight. Now it's happening quick, <laughs> but yeah. uh, but you know you have to work up. You have to learn learn first, right? So for you, sixteen months isn't that long. That's quick no. in the grand scheme of things. But you also had had bought quite a while before and have been thinking about it. I've seen some guys like Kellen, for instance. He was also on the podcast. I think it was like episode nine or ten. Mm-hmm. If, if you want to go back and listen to it, 
two and a half years, built $10,000 a month in income. Off yes. Of portfolio. Yeah. And I just, just talked to him, got laid off from his job. Coincidentally, he was just thinking about quitting and he got laid off. Yeah. So he's, he's, he's doing a van trip yeah. around the States, I think. <laughs> bought a van and he's going he's gonna to go tour the US for three years. And this is a guy that two and a half years ago, I ran into him at a meetup and he hadn't bought a property. Had yeah. But the, the level of hustle has to exactly. be. Has exactly. To be, right. Um, I, I'll, I'll never say like you can't do something. I think these people will surprise, surprise you if you tell them stuff like that, but some people just won't make the effort. Right. So you had something driving you. And I think that's the key, right? As long as you've got something driving you, cause you will have to stay up late. You will have oh, to yeah. work harder. And, oh yeah. And people okay. will say, people yeah. will say you're nuts. People will say you're crazy. People will say you can't do it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's like, it's too, too risky. It's too, Every, there's so many people that will just say, no, like it's not possible. You know, it's not possible to do that. It's not possible to do that. Or, or they'll look at somebody who's, who's, uh, you know, really successful in, in real estate and they'll say, you know, uh, I'm never going to be able to get there. Right. It's, it, it, it's, it's a lot closer than you think if you really grind it out and, uh, and get out there and talk to people. Level of belief is huge. Yeah. So and uh, I don't know the, what's, what's the expression. You become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Yes. So who are your five? That's it. for anyone who hasn't quite got there yet. Who are your five, you know, yeah. and are they positive? Are they bringing you up or are they bringing you down? And yeah. If they are bringing you down, I'm not saying cut your mother or your father out of your life, but, <laughs> but find ways to spend time, more time with the people who are bringing you up. Yes. Right. And then eventually if, if a family member is, is the one that's bringing you down, then you, you know, you show them and they see, and then eventually they change their tune. It does happen, but you'll have it to, does. and you'll have oh, to yeah. through those, those hurdles of like, this can't be done or you're crazy or what have you. Um, yeah, this is a really cool discussion, which I haven't really done so much on mindset, which we've just done a ton of, uh, today. And I think that's, that's honestly where it all starts. Yeah. All starts. I've been really, really fortunate in the, the people around me, like Carmen for one, um, her husband, Richard, you know, just really incredible developers that the, the way they think, I just love absorbing it. I like to get in there every once in a while and just kind of have a chat or like, you know, Thanksgiving dinner, have a chat with Richard and, you know, he's talking about building thousands of units. Right. And, yeah. and it, it just, I soak it in a little bit. Okay. I, I see where your mind's at. And I start to learn these little, little tidbits and these gold nuggets, um, you know, every once in a while and it builds up just, you know, just as you've said. So, uh, on that note, do you have any other gold nuggets that kind of come to mind of these little, these little things that you described doing a deal that, that you're like, wow, I wish I'd known that a long time ago. Um, I would say, okay. So, education honestly is, is is key education is key you need to you need to whether it's reading books listening to audiobooks or talking to people who have the knowledge you need to do it so um talk, going about mindset the reason that i got into all of this was i believe the book was probably how to win friends and influence people and then think and grow rich those two changed my mindset Right. Or, or uh, there was the power of positive thinking as well. So, you know, getting rid of all the negativity in your life uh, mm -hmm. for sure is, is, is important. Um, and then being grateful for, for everything that you have. So um, golden nugget, I guess, would yeah. be get rid of negativity in your life and yeah. be grateful for the things you have and the people, the people around you, whether it's a little or you, you have it in, in abundance. Yeah. Uh, just make sure you're, 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 you're grateful for everything you have, uh, that's definitely helped me. Yeah. 
yeah. I can see that. I can see that. And, and, you know, just talking to you. Um, and I, I couldn't agree more that I was a very negative person up until probably 2010, very cynical, you know, it's, it's never going to work, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, I read Brian Tracy's, uh, the art Maximum achievement. Oh, okay. Art of closing. It was given to me. I went to this, it was randomly, I was told to go to this real estate event. They gave away the free book and I read the book and it's, and it said, uh, make driving time, learning time. And I started downloading all these audiobooks, and yep. I got introduced to think and grow rich and, 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 uh, how to win friends and influence people and a million others. And I started to see this, the common trend is that, um, it, it really is your attitude. And actually there was another one, Jeffrey Gittimer's, the little gold book of yes, that was probably the biggest boot in the behind for me, uh, in terms of realizing just how negativity had been affecting my life. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, when, you know, once that changed, I started to, you know, you start to shut out all this, this cynicism of, you know, people around you who, who, you know, they don't make that much and you know, why is it already so hard? Or, you know, if they're paycheck to paycheck or anything like that, uh, you just start to shut that stuff out and say, just cause yeah. that's their reality. Hey, I write my own path. I, it doesn't I, have to be mine. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that was big for me. And granted it hasn't always been easy and I've had my ups and downs with it. I I'd say generally that, that, that changed my life in that year. My life was never the same again, because yeah. I, I always come back to that. I remember, you know what, there's absolutely no benefit to me saying a negative statement. There's no, exactly. I can be objective. I can be careful, but there's zero benefit to be being negative. Be balanced exactly. if anything, right? Like exactly. positive is going to help you being balanced about when you're looking at a deal, you look at both the positive and the negative equally. And you say, well, this is the good. And how can I make it? positive if it's not right you know get creative how can i make it positive if, it, if you don't think it is so mm -hmm. uh, a little bit of a rant okay so some some more specifics um welland is a smaller town in the niagara region what is it that gives you comfort about investing in a small town what are some of the benefits you see what are the, some of the drawbacks uh drawbacks is probably going to be for for most real estate investors the reason that they might be hesitant is uh, based on you know jobs, right? Job growth, like the it's in comparison to Hamilton and London, you don't have the same population, so you're not going to have a lot of white collar, um, you know, people that that are there. It is a it is more blue collar, but um, I don't think that. I guess the reason that I don't really have fear or feel that I'm risking anything is because the the stats show that there right now there's zero vacancy in in these areas right so there's only 50,000 right. people but the vacancy is zero and i've seen firsthand that uh when you put you put any property out there you have like hundreds of people messaging you for rentals it's 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 crazy right and um and it's not just because you have the people in welland or the people in niagara falls or st catharines and bordering you have all the people from hamilton who can no longer afford to rent in Hamilton because the rents are a couple hundred dollars cheaper in Welland. Mm -hmm. So you have people that are messaging you from Hamilton who are trying to move down to that area. So the growth that we're going to see, especially with the amount of people that uh, with immigration coming into the country, yeah. you know, that, that growth is, uh, is, is going to keep coming every year, year, year over year. Yes. And, and you're actually in a market. One of the reasons I wanted to get you on this podcast, you're in a market that that's appealing to me and I'm looking at it right now. And I see the same thing. I see a market where it's not really economically diverse, but it's so close to everything. I think it's the main driver is going to be the spillover from the people in neighboring towns who can no longer afford that town. And they're yep. sort of getting forced out. 
And for those who aren't from Ontario, like the, the Toronto is, is in what's called the golden horseshoe. It's, it's everything that surrounds the lake. There's a, there's a, a horseshoe of cities that just kind of don't end all the way to the border. So basically from Buffalo all the way around the other side of like way past Toronto. And, uh, this area, I think eventually one day is going to be unaffordable for the average Canadian. I mean, right now it's yeah. already become less affordable and I've seen a consistent trend. And if you look at the stats, you go back 30 years, you go back 60 years, the affordability of living has been consistently going down. It's been harder and harder for Canadians to buy homes. Mm-hmm. Not every market is like this, but I see our area in Southern Ontario. I see that going to a place that say in, in 20, 30 years, when that, when that housing crisis comes because of our immigration. I see us in a day and age where most people just rent. We're, we're probably at like a 90% of people rent and 10% of people own their own home at that point. I don't, I don't doubt it. Um, you know, I specifically invest for cash flow. I don't, I don't invest for capital appreciation or speculative appreciation, but I can tell you that the triplex that, that I do live in, mm-hmm. I paid 250 for that in 2017 mm-hmm. and it's worth 550 now. Oh, wow. That's nice. Yeah. And I, I don't either. To me, the deal has to work on cash flow. I, I think that that's the icing on the cake when you get a capital appreciation, when your property goes up in value. And I do, I do expect it to happen, but I make sure that my deal works, even if it doesn't. Exactly. And I think you have to have that mindset. I, you can invest on spec. And I know some people would argue against me, but for me, I, like, I mean, if, if I'm going to buy a condo in Toronto, that's going to be negative $400 a month. That might only be, I would say probably max five to 10% of my portfolio. Like mm-hmm. I might allocate a little piece for that, but the rest is all going to be cash flow. So that overall my portfolio is cash flow. And, yes. uh, and I always say this, it's a really, really good way to get out of real estate investing fast. If you buy into negative cash flow on properties, you, oh, yeah. the stress it will create, you won't stick with it. It's just yeah. gonna stress. It's going to nag. Yeah. Think about the booms in the market, right? Like how, how are you going to ride that out mm-hmm. if you're in negative cash flow, and then you go into more negative cash flow because there's a, there's a small recession or, or a large recession, right? If you have cash flow, you have cash flow. Yeah. What if you have a crash? That's what I say to people. What if you have a crash, you buy into something that's negative 500 and say it's a million dollars and all of a sudden the market crashes and it goes down to 600. You can't sell it. You no. just got to eat negative cash flow for maybe 20 years. And maybe, <laughs> maybe, right? So I'm always thinking, what if? So buy yeah. something where the cash flow works from day one, and it's a good cash flow, so that even if rents go down a bit, you're still positive. And, exactly. And then your value goes down. You say, well, you know what? It's not ideal, but I'm still making money. I'm good. Exactly. And, That's one of the most important things I think that people need to understand when they're investing, mm-hmm. um, because there are people that are investing that are breaking even or in negative cash flow, and I can't comprehend it. Mm-hmm. I don't get what, it. What if something comes up? Like what if you need a new roof, boom, there's five to $10,000 gone. You know, yeah. uh, if you're not, if you're not in cash flow, then you have to reach into your pocket to pay for that. Exactly. And when, and if you're making a uh, thousand, a thousand plus, uh, in cash flow, and you have an issue and you got to send an electrician or a plumber and it's going to cost you $500. Who cares? Yeah. Otherwise it creates stress, right? Like I've yeah. been in situations where I, you know, my property wasn't rented back in the Ohio days. Like every time I got a call for that kind of thing, I'm like, Oh, like I like quiver, <laughs> like start to sweat a little bit. I'm like, I don't like this. But then, you know, I got into the student rentals and it's all of a sudden like 600 a month is, is my lowest cash flow on any of my properties. Um, Amazing. Except for my one single family, which I refinanced to pay out other, you know, other stuff. Uh, so that one, but that was the one that's turning over. So, you know, it exactly. 
like I said, good things happen when you own property and, but you need to buy for cash flow. You need to have yes. for cash flow. In my opinion, if you're starting out, if you're similar guys to like us, if you don't relate to us, then, you know, take someone else's advice. But, uh, if, if you're trying to relate to us, I think that's the way to go. Yeah. So, Sean, it's been, uh, it's been really cool hearing your story. I don't want us to drag on too long. Um, but so what I wanted to ask you is a couple of things. What's one thing that you would recommend that people do? Um, it, you know, I know you said education, but is there something else you'd recommend that, that people do that's really important? Take action. Take action. Right? So that, that's, that's, the, that's the key to everything. So you can sit here and listen to these podcasts. That's great. But if you don't take action, mm-hmm. you're not going to do anything. Absolutely. You're just going to listen to podcasts and you're going to, you're going to be, you're going to have knowledge, but you're not taking action and years are going to go by and you're going to look back and you're going to have regrets and you're going to say, why did I wait? Mm-hmm. Why didn't I take, why didn't I take action last year? Why didn't I take action now? Yep. Granted, listen to the podcast and like hearing your story is probably going to help some people go, yes. you know, take action now. Now they yes, heard exactly. it, like, okay, Sean did it. I can do it. And that's yeah. So yeah, do what you need to do to bring yourself up, but take it. Yep. Uh, what's one thing that you would say absolutely do not do to a new investor getting started? Don't educate yourself and just <laughs> invest. Second straight, <laughs> second straight podcast, actually, that, that that was the answer. And it's funny, really? common answer. Uh, because you just, it's like the ingredients. Uh, it's the ingredients that go into a cake, right? You want to make your cake? you have to put in the ingredients and the ingredients are education and effort and, yeah. and determination. Like it, it's, you just have to have it. It doesn't yes. matter. Nothing else really matters. Like anything you don't know, you can learn. There yeah. is really no excuse. If you don't have money, you learn enough that you can convince a joint venture partner or a lender to lend you money that there's, there's exactly no excuse ever, ever exactly. if you work three jobs, no excuse for anybody. Um, okay. So Sean, what's, uh, if somebody wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to connect? Uh, Instagram or Facebook. I'm, I'm on both. Um, I have a website to reaig.com. Uh, Facebook group is Rea investment group or just Sean, Sean Rea on Instagram or Facebook. Sean Rea. Okay. I'll, uh, I'll put the link to your Insta and, uh, Facebook, and then hopefully people can just kind of find you from there cool. and, uh, and go from there. Uh, so that'll be in the show notes. And, uh, so, so quick rapid fire. What is your favorite real estate based book? It's gotta be rich dad, poor dad. It has to be that that's, that's like, that's a no brainer almost. Cause you, mm-hmm. if you're an employee working at nine to five and you want to invest in real estate, you're going to switch from the E quadrant to the I quadrant and you're going to become an investor and you're going to realize the potential with, uh, yeah. you know, your mortgage pay down capital appreciation, mm-hmm. uh, depreciating your properties with taxes, all the benefits of real estate investing. It's insane. The benefits are, are endless, way too many for us to list uh, right here, right now. So yeah, I agree. That is a must read eye opener. There are a few others in the real estate realm that I think are valuable, especially for people who want to flip. Uh, there's one called um, uh, the Real Estate Rehab Investing Bible. I think it's Paula Sajan. If you haven't, okay. uh, haven't heard that one. Cool one. It's American. So I mean, for Canadians, it's a little bit of a different flavor uh, with some of the details, but the overall principles all work. Um, okay. And in terms of hobbies, like what are you into? What's something that, that you like to do in your spare time? I'm actually a big bookworm, surprisingly. Like I, I, I read a lot. So I just finished, um, was it Money People Deal? I'm reading Hard Times Make Stronger Men or Strong Men. Oh, I think those Steph- are both by Stefan Arnio. Stefan Arnio, okay. Um, and I'm reading another one right now that's it's by the same author who wrote The Secret. It's called Magic. And it's, yes. uh, it's actually just... It's about showing gratitude, you know, being, know being thankful one. and yeah. 
Yeah. yeah so I'm a big bookworm and uh, a lot of people probably don't know that. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, what's, that uh, was my next question. What's something that people don't know about you? Most people don't know about you. I used to, I used to fight and train Muay Thai and uh, boxing. Okay. I could see that. <laughs> kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. No, that's awesome. Do you still do that? Uh, no, no. Okay. Well, uh, Sean, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. It was really cool. Uh, cool getting to uh, meet you digitally. Yes. Any chance you're going to make it to our meetup? Make oh, absolutely. Groups? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm looking yeah. forward to it. We'll, uh, we'll share a little bit more there and, and, uh, again, I'm going to want to have you on again as you do more deals and, and we'll keep tabs. Would love to. Awesome. Thanks right. for having me. Thanks, Sean. Just a quick wrap up. That was obviously a very cool episode with Sean. He's a very informative guy, very enlightened uh, for a guy who's really only been aggressively real estate investing for 16 months. If you wouldn't mind, if you haven't already, please take a moment to review, rate the podcast, share it with a friend, uh, connect with me on Instagram or Facebook at the Andrew Hines. And my last name is spelled H-I-N-E-S. Super eager to connect with uh, as many new investors as I reasonably can. Of course, hit me up, send me a message. Happy to chat and hopefully connect with you at some point. Thanks again for listening and I will see you on the next podcast. Mm -hmm.